Former Lou Geffen Sotheby's CEO and convicted wife killer Jason Ruder was back in the headlines this week. In 2019, the Western Cape High Court found him guilty of murdering his wife Susan at a Stellenbosch Hotel in July 2016. Ruder maintained that his wife killed herself after discovering that he was continuing to have an affair. However, the court found him guilty of strangling and smothering his wife to death and then trying to cover it up by staging the murder scene to make it look like she had committed suicide. He was sentenced to an effective 20 years behind bars. This week, the case was in the Supreme Court of Appeal, where Ruder is challenging his conviction and sentence. I'm Catherine Rice, journalist for News24's multimedia department, and this is The Story. This week, we'll revisit the Rhoda case, where it's at, and what's likely to happen next. You're listening to The Story. It's a podcast by News24. We'll speak to journalists and experts about the week's biggest story. This is what we saw, heard, and uncovered this week. We're talking to News24's specialist legal journalist, Karen Morn. Karen, Rhoda's been on bail for the past two years. This is quite unusual for someone who has already been convicted. Can you tell us why he was granted bail? I think that there's a direct consequence of the kind of judicial politics in the Western Cape High Court at play here. Uh, Judge Gayat Salih Lope, uh, you know, was at the heart of various complaints laid by Patricia Goliath, the deputy judge uh, president of that court, and in which specific allegations about her handling of the Rhoda case was, were, were raised. Now, pivotal in this case are key forensic disputes that, and allegations that the judge did not properly apply her mind uh, to the evidence before her and essentially treated Jason Arreda in, in an unfair way that violated his fair trial rights. The Supreme Court of Appeal did find that there was a basis to consider his appeal, that it might may come to a different conclusion having looked at that evidence. And it also found that he did not constitute a flight risk and that Salih Lopez's refusal to grant him bail in those circumstances was unjustified. Uh, many eyebrows were raised at the time, but um, it has been a decision now in, the, now in these last few days, we have seen the court evaluating the evidence before it and making it clear that it is not entirely satisfied that Jason Rueda was, as he claims, wrongly convicted. The Supreme Court of Appeal heard Rueda's appeal on Monday. Can you explain how it all works? It's not another trial, right? It's an examination of the original trial records. Exactly. An appeal essentially is an evaluation by a higher court of records, transcripts and evidence and the judgment ultimately um, reached by a lower court. So there's no evidence led, there's no testimony. It's simply an evaluation of what is described as the record of the trial that came before. Um, Rueda has raised a number of forensic you know, issues in terms of his appeal. Um, he continues to insist that he did not kill his wife, that there is uh, compelling forensic e- evidence that proves that she, does in- she did in fact uh, take her own life. And he has also again raised through his lawyers these allegations that uh, Judge Guy Salih Lope did not properly evaluate that evidence and bring an open mind to that case, and as a result, his fair trial rights were violated. 
As you've said, a lot of the case actually hinged on forensic testimony. Can you tell us about some of the differing opinions heard in Rueda's trial? I think pivotally, when the Supreme Court of Appeal heard this case, and particularly uh, Judge Ian van der Maver, uh, it did not want to get into the various twists and turns as articulated by Judge Gaetali Lope in terms of her evaluation of the forensic evidence, which even the state has conceded was in some parts unsubstantiated by the actual forensic evidence um, at the scene. Crucially, the state conceding that it was not uh, necessarily a sustainable conclusion, for example, that Rueda had smothered his wife. The court also not entirely convinced by the lower court's finding that the smothering and the strangulation had occurred in the context of a violent and protracted altercation. It very much appears that there is in the mind of the court evidence that Susan Rueda was manually asphyxiated, um, bruising on the side of her neck, for example, and 250 milliliters of blood that was found in her stomach and intestines. And the court expressing severe reservations about how this could have happened, as the defense suggests, in the context of a, pre, a fall that occurred the day before and in the context of her allegedly suffering from nosebleeds. Um, Ian van der Maver is saying that it was highly li- unlikely or suggesting that it was highly unlikely that a woman like Susan Rueda would simply swallow so much blood without trying to deal with the nosebleed um, effectively. So it's clear that the court is not wanting to get into um, the various disputed um, aspects of forensic evidence that have defined this trial and that formed much of the defense's attack on Gaet Salih Lopez's judgment. They are focusing on what can be proven and they very much seem to be swayed in the direction that there is clear forensic evidence of manual strangulation in this case. There was a lot of testimony during the trial about Susan Ruder's mental state at the time, whether she was depressed and suicidal or merely anxious because her husband refused to leave his mistress. In the defense's heads of arguments submitted to the SCA on Monday, they raised the fact that their witness psychiatrist, Larissa Paneri-Peter, was not even allowed to complete her evidence. What was some of the evidence around Susan Ruder's mental state at the time? Well, Larissa Paneri-Peter, of course, you know, she was also involved in the Oscar Pistorius matter, had essentially been brought in um, to construct a kind of forensic analysis, uh, post-mortem analysis of Susan Ruder's um, psyche. And obviously, Judge Gaet Salih Lope was very unhappy about this because she said, you know, she didn't necessarily have direct knowledge of Susan Ruder's in her life and that this was an inappropriate um, witness and basically stopped her from testifying, which was one of the, as you correctly point out, major grounds raised by the defense. Um, Paneri Peter was, uh, you know, had engaged with various reports and evidence, um, basically suggesting that Susan Ritter had been um, desperately psychiatrically disturbed by the revelations of her husband's affair that it had done significant damage to her and that she had displayed possible um, suicidal tendencies in the wake of that information, which may have culminated in her um, taking her own life. Of course, um, Susan Ridder's own uh, psychologists and counselors have disputed this um, and said that, you know, while she was hurt and betrayed, uh, you know, the, the 
the possibility that she would leave her children, her, her daughters, um, by committing suicide was something that was just untenable. And the state in its heads, Louisa Nickak, saying that she was a deeply courageous woman who, you know, while she was, you know, fighting with her husband, was essentially fighting for her marriage, was fighting um, to, to sustain um, that relationship and had no, had, had no intention of taking her life that morning. Karen, which way do you think the ACA is leaning and why? I strongly believe that the Supreme Court of Appeal will find that Jason Ritter is guilty of Susan Ritter's murder. They will find that he, there is clear evidence that he manually asphyxiated her, um, but they will not make determinations with regards to an alleged beating or attack that occurred prior to her death. I think that the court will also reduce his sentence from 20 years to the minimum sentence for murder in these circumstances, which is you know, non-premeditated murder, and reduce it to 15 years. Is that because it's um, what they may see as a crime of passion? Well, the law is quite um, specific. If you're accused of non-premeditated murder or murder under the principle of dolus eventualis, the minimum sentence is 15 years. So typically you don't see courts going over 15 years, just like they don't go over, you know, know, it's it's very unusual for a court to go over um, a sentence of 15 years for corruption. The only real option for them is to lessen that sentence because they are compelling and substantial circumstances that just justify the imposition of a lesser sentence. Of course, Jason Ritter's lawyers have tried to argue that there are such grounds um, in this case and that the court should consider that. And at one point, his lawyer, William King, saying that in circumstances where um, you know, he didn't, wasn't specifically referring to Ritter, but you know, where, where someone had um, sort of strangled someone in a moment of... Um, in a kind of crime of passion scenario, and it had been a brief thing that had happened, um, the court could look at possible correctional supervision um, as a sentence. But Judge Ian Fanimava um, making it very clear that the court was not even consider that kind of situation uh, or sentence because of the incredible seriousness of this offence. When do you think we can expect a ruling from the SCA? And do you think it will be possible for Ruder to lodge a further appeal if the verdict is not in his favour? The Supreme Court of Appeal is one of the most, it is the most efficient court in the country. So I think we should get the judgment out probably within a month, possibly even as early as three weeks. Uh, I think that it is very likely that Jason Ruder will bring an application for leave to appeal that ruling in the constitutional court, where I expect he will argue that his fair trial rights have been violated. Uh, the constitutional court, however, does not often get involved in criminal appeals. Oscar Pistorius failed to persuade it to hear his appeal against his conviction by the SCA. But obviously, um, it remains to be seen what kind of arguments he will raise in the event um, that the SCA does, in fact, find him guilty of murder. And Karen, would he go straight to jail pending that appeal? Uh, would, would his bail then be revoked? It would normally be revoked, but if he, he could bring a legal application to say that he, he is making an application to, to the constitutional court and that pending the determination of the court, he should be remain, allowed to remain out on bail, 
given that he has demonstrated that he is not a flight risk. However, the state may well argue that given that, you know, the chances of him necessarily getting a hearing in the constitutional court um, are, are not entirely certain, um, and the seriousness of, of, the, of, the potential, of the sentence that he faces, um, that the court should reevaluate and, and should uh, revoke, go ahead with revoking his bail in the circumstances. So he does have legal options here. It will just really about the, be about the approach of the state and also about the approach um, of the court in, in those particular circumstances. Thank you so much for your time, Karen. That's all we have time for this week. That was News 24's specialist legal journalist, Karen Morn. I'm Catherine Rice, and this week's episode was produced with the help of Alyosha Kolstock.